The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. If you've got people that aren't getting along in a company, the only person I'm going to look at is the manager. Manager, manager, manager. Welcome to the Service Business Mastery Podcast. I'm Terj Blissett. This podcast is for business owners, managers, and technicians of service-based businesses who want to grow and make their businesses more profitable. On today's episode, our guest is Steve Kosho. Steve is a best-selling author, a columnist, and a certified speaking professional. This guy is the author of the HVAC Customer Service Handbook, and the majority of today's conversation will be based on this book. I was introduced to Steve by Bill Spone and was immediately enamored with his passion for teaching technicians the soft skills needed to make them stand out in a crowd. Pay special attention to the value bombs that are going to be dropped today. As a business owner for your technicians and your managers, as a manager for yourself and to help coach your technicians, and for technicians so that you can rise above the crowd. Steve has packages available for companies all shapes and sizes and a link to his website will be posted in today's show notes. I introduce to you, Steve Kosha. If you will tell our audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got into the industry, and what exactly it is you do with our industry. And when I say our industry, I'm speaking towards the HVAC side of things. I'm geographically from New York City. I've been living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for the last 30-something years. I met my wife here and started the family. But I am from uh, service management as a career. So that's what I did most of my uh, professional career. I worked in uh, more of the electronic side of things, printed circuit boards. And I had technicians working for me. I had office people working for me. And as a service manager, I was responsible for customer satisfaction. And one of the events that I had to handle early in my career was a factory recall for a consumer electronics product. If the statement, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, has any validity, it did with me because it almost killed me. But I survived. And what I learned from all of that adversity was that what customers really want when things go bad is help. And that's what got me through it. I was empathetic and I was concerned, but I had to demonstrate the empathy and the concern with action. And that's where you have to have a stable process for serving customers so that when problems do arise, they can sense the action. It was that event that was an epiphany for me to the degree where I decided to write about it. I wrote a few articles and then I decided to write a book and it was very hard to get published back then. This is in the late 1980s, early 1990s. So no sticking it right on uh, Amazon and having it. No, (laughs) there was no internet back then. But I finally did find a publisher after being rejected by 54 business publishers. Oh, wow. So the first book came out in 1992. My second book came out in 1996. And they were both about customer service. They were mass market books. So I was a service manager who was also a published author which was a nice feather in my cap. It gave me some other business opportunities because I would be invited to speak at conferences every now and then. But then my job went away in about 2001. 
the plant where I work was shut down, so I started to consult. One of the industries that I was invited in was the mechanical trades, was plumbing, heating, refrigeration, that type of thing. And it was an industry that is totally reliant upon service, yet there didn't seem to be any documentation for how the service should be delivered. So since I had written two other books, I decided to write this other book as a little brochure, as an introduction to the industry, and I decided to self-publish it. So I wrote it myself, I laid it out, I had somebody print it for me, and it was more of a brochure when it first came out. But little did I know that the industry really needed my book. And I started to see orders for like 20 and 30 and 40 books at a time. And when I inquired about those larger orders, they were all coming from the same type of person. It was a person who was either an HVAC company owner during the day, and at nighttime, he taught at a trade school or a community college, and he was buying 20, 30, 40 books for his students. And that's where I saw this other opportunity. So that's how I got into this side of the industry, I was writing that book, doing a few seminars, but it was a very interesting lesson in taking risks and going the extra mile, because I didn't have to write the book, and it was a lot of work to do. I had to do a ton of research. But in life, when you're willing to take risks, when you're willing to work hard to get up early and stay up late, sometimes the rewards come your way. Now, this side of the industry, you're saying basically what you do now is help technicians and companies learn soft skills, basically, is your role. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I work with lots of different facets of the mechanical trades in their professionalism and their soft skills and even in their personal hygiene and dressing neatly and keeping the truck neat and clean and all the different facets of what might be perceived by the customer as a touch point. I have your book here in my hand, the HVAC Customer Service Handbook, the fourth edition. This thing is loaded down with some value. I don't want to go over the whole book because we could be here for weeks just talking about all the great things that are in the book. But I'd like to hit a few of the high points in the book, if you don't mind. And if you'll just kind of explain a few things I'd like to hit. So basically, it's a three chapter book. And if you'll just touch on one thing on each chapter, that would be awesome. So we can just give a feel to our audience so that they can fill out your book and your program. The main thing I wanted to get across in the beginning of this book, in the chapter, was the importance of stability in a service operation. So you heard me mention that word earlier when I spoke about the factory recall, that customers want help and the care and the concern and the empathy has to be demonstrated in some type of action. And you can't have that positive action without a stable process. So in the beginning of the book, we introduce a very simple flowchart demonstration of a sequential and methodical flow for how a service operation can work when you're serving customers. So once I get past introducing the methodical and sequential flow, also integrated in the first chapter is the importance of teamwork. This seems to be an issue in every facet of the mechanical trades, whether it's pipe fitting, refrigeration, HVAC. Every mechanical company seems to have an internal issue of employees working together. And it seems to be mainly between people out in the field and people in the office. 
and not always being complete in the information that they share and not always being timely with the information that they share. So that's covered in the first chapter too. And some examples of that are what happens when a technician who's out in the field is in a rush. It's a really hot day and he's struggling to get from one service call to the next service call. And because he's in a rush, he starts to cut corners by uh, being a little too concise, entering information into his tablet. He's not writing the whole symptom. He's not putting the whole parts description and he's trying to save time. So when that happens and then all this information gets uploaded to the office and then the parts manager in the office is getting this information, the information is so incomplete, the parts manager doesn't know how to make sense out of it. So now the parts manager has to stop what he's doing. He has to pick up the phone, call the technician who has to pull over his truck to the side of the road, answer the call, go through the work orders from the previous site visits. And now they're wasting time. And they are engaged in the most expensive behavior that is called rework because someone didn't have enough time, that extra 10 or 20 seconds, to enter the information incorrectly. So that's an example of how teamwork gets in the way of enabling people inside the company to work well. Because here's the reality, Tersh. When we serve our coworkers well, the benefactors of that activity are the external customers. Teamwork is a vital point for mechanical companies that if we share well, if we are thinking about our coworkers and the information they need, then we get to really exhibit great customer service to the external customers. What would you say really quick about, I've heard several times someone would say something to the extent of, I don't have to like them, I just have to work with them. (laughs) What would you say to something like that? Well, that's a management problem. So whenever I hear that, that's a management issue. Those situations, they should not be arising and they should be addressed at the management level. So whenever a manager hires anyone or a company owner hires anyone to work in a company, part of that manager's criteria is compatibility among the employees. So if you've got people that aren't getting along in a company, the only person I'm going to look at is the manager or the company owner as the root cause. So those situations have to be addressed As a company owner, you know that your best leverage is when you only let the best people into your company who are going to be compatible and working as a positive team member. So yes, employees don't always get along, but when they don't, management has to address that issue because if we allow bad attitudes to fester, they become contagious among the other employees. There was another great part of the chapter one that I read. And that was the customer's first impression. I think it's on page 33. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts. And your thoughts are right in line with exactly what I've felt for years prior to even reading your book. But you just put my thoughts to words for me without even me knowing it. But basically the parking, the cleanliness of the vehicle, cleanliness of technician, those types of things. And then the last thing on that little segment is answering with my pleasure. And that may even be something that I found on one of your YouTube videos. I'm not sure after doing a little bit of research, but that's something that I've felt strongly about. And I've talked with my guys over the past year about responding in that fashion. And could you dive into that a little bit? You know, first impressions are pretty psychological. That's what they are. Because when a customer meets a mechanical worker for the first time, they don't really know the person yet. But on a psychological level, we all 
convey what's called a halo effect if we convey something positive. So you don't really know the person, but something about the person may be likable. Maybe what's likable about the person is that they made that pre-arrival call to tell the customer that they're just leaving their last service call and they're on the way. And by the way, do you have any preference about where I park my truck? Customers don't always expect that question. So when they get it, they say, oh, you know, just park in the front. My husband may be home later, so please don't park in the driveway. Now, the customer doesn't know that mechanical worker yet, but the customer likes him already because he had enough care and concern for the customer's property to ask a very simple question. So let's look at the inverse of that, okay? Let's just say that technician makes the pre-arrival call, but he doesn't ask the parking question. So now he pulls up to the house, right? The husband's not home. There's a spot in the driveway. So he pulls the truck onto the customer's driveway, right? He gets his tools, his clipboard. He leaves the truck. And if it's been hot outside, the air conditioner has been running. So now the truck is not running now, but the condensation from the air conditioner is dripping onto the customer's driveway, right? And it's only water. Not a big deal. But then the customer looks out the window, and the customer says, my husband's going to be home in 20 minutes. And... There's something leaking in my driveway. So now what's the customer thinking? The customer doesn't know this person, but it's the total opposite of what I conveyed earlier. And now you tell me as a company owner, Tersh, how easy is it for the second scenario to occur? Oh, it's absolutely easy, especially if you have a slightly longer driveway and you don't want to walk down the driveway. So it's just as easy. One of my mentors growing up, when I first got into the industry, he was super adamant about parking on the front of the house. And a major reason is what you were leading to on the second part with the condensation, but it more so the oil, because we can maintain these vehicles all we want to, but sometimes it's just going to leak a drop of oil here and there and avoid that situation. There's no sense in having to go out there and pay someone to pressure wash a driveway just because you parked there whenever you could have parked right on the roadside. Yeah, right. So the first impression is mostly about psychological issues. It's about the fact that you don't know the person, but customers will make assumptions about a person based on what they see from a window or something else. So I have this little video that I show when I do seminars. It's called What a Customer Sees from Their Window Matters. And it's all of the events that can really impact a customer's first impression and the assumptions that they make about someone else. If someone approaches a property, they ring the doorbell. Most companies today have employees with their name badges on, so they look official. The person may have a business card, introduce themselves. Their shoe cover should be in their hand or nearby. But all these small psychological factors make a mechanical worker a lot more likable to a customer. And for any mechanical company that's going to compete in any regional market, you want to be able to differentiate yourself as being worth every penny that you charge because nobody wants to be the cheapest guy in town. So it's a matter of demonstrating why you're worth more when you serve customers. Let me tell you what I instruct my guys to do and tell me if that's right or wrong or if you have a better approach to it. Basically, what I like for my guys to do, ring the doorbell and then take two steps back and have a business card in their hand so that as soon as they open the door... They can hand the business card to the customer, and then if the customer wants to shake their hand, then they can do that. But don't reach your hand out to shake the customer's hand because some people just aren't comfortable with that. What you're saying is correct. While you're at the door, you are observant, right? You're watching. And people's body language will give you a clue for how things are. You know, some people, 
They'll open their front door for you. They'll barely make eye contact with you. And they'll point towards the attic or the basement and say, it's upstairs, you know. And then you go in and do it. Other people ask you if you want a cup of coffee. <laughs> you have customers <laughs> from one side of the spectrum to the other. That's great. Moving on to chapter two, tactical service ideas. You read into it and you just get hooked on the chapter itself. I was on page 55 about using restraint, not retaliation. It was crazy how real that scenario was. Could you tell us a little bit about that and kind of go into detail on your thoughts on that? It's from practical experience. What we learn as we get older is that when we get angry, we'll make the best speech we'll ever regret. So as we age and as we get wiser, the key tactic is not to get there, to interrupt either the stress or the anger or the frustration, interrupt it with rational thinking. And the rational thinking is just when we say to ourselves things like, oh man, this is not going to be good, but I'm the professional. I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to take it. And that's what we say to ourselves. That's the rational thinking part. And we will save ourselves time. We will save our company money. We will have a happier customer if we subordinate our own needs in the interest of serving a customer well. Because whenever we retaliate with a snippy tone, by rolling our eyes, by any of those behaviors, they don't make things better. It makes things worse. That goes through the phone, too. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, They can hear you roll your eyes. even though. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why in the book's first chapter, the predominant thought is to contain. Contain means keep the situation within fixed limits so it doesn't get worse. You contain, you qualify, and you correct. So practicing restraint and not retaliation is how you contain an event because Whenever we restrain, we are keeping the situation under control, we're subordinating our own needs, and we're putting the customer first. And that's what a professional does. So yes, the work gets difficult. Yes, customers misbehave. Yes, sometimes very few customers exaggerate their circumstances. All of that is in a day's work for a professional mechanical worker. Okay, so we could have gone way more into detail there on the tactical service ideas. There's so much information in that section, but we don't want to give it all away. Chapter three, relational service ideas. Really quick, mobile devices, phones, tablets. Let's go into that a little bit. You got a little bit of cell phone etiquette. I see this all the time, not to mention the texting or typing an email while you're driving. The phone etiquettes when you're sitting at a supply house countertop. Can you go into a little bit of detail with all that? This isn't news to anyone because now smartphones have been part of our life for a while. So people know this. But in terms of etiquette, if whenever you are serving an important customer or you are in an important meeting, either put your phone in airplane mode or turn it off and don't allow yourself to be distracted by it. Because if the customer is important enough to warrant all of your attention, let them have it. Because when you get distracted, you are going to miss key details about the symptom, about the equipment, you're going to miss something whenever you get distracted. So part of etiquette is if you're at lunch with someone, don't put the phone under the table and try to text and think you're getting away with it because everyone can see what you're doing. <laughs> so either put it away, put it in your pocket, or just ask for permission to use it if you need to use it. That one's really, really tough for me being a business owner. 
just putting your phone away. When you're sitting down at lunch and it's life or death in the customer's mind, whether I answer that phone call or don't answer the phone call, it's really tough for me to say, hey, I'm going to ignore this phone call for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, because a lot of times lunch meetings will go that long, especially when you're meeting with vendors or whatnot. So I agree. It's best practice to ask permission to answer that phone call, especially if they've called second or third time. It may be important to answer it. And then the other thing is just set, if you're a company owner like yourself and you go in, into a meeting, set an expectation. Just say, listen, there's a chance I may get a phone call. If one comes in, I'll give you a heads up notice, but just set the expectation. So people know. And that's something else you can do. And then with uh, tablets, I mentioned earlier about being complete in the tablet. All the data that's put into any tablet or smartphone goes into a database. And the rule of databases is you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. <laughs> so you got to put quality in. You have to be complete. If you're doing service for someone and you recognize that the customer would benefit from a UV light or from a humidifier. And the customer says, no, I don't want that. Be complete and write in that the customer declined this specific service. Be complete. Because what happens with many residential service companies is a customer declines something and then they don't write it in the tablet. And then a week later, the customer calls and says, hey, I've got this problem with the humidity in my house. And it's not in the document that the customer declined the service. So now the customer is rattling your cage over the phone. And because someone wasn't complete, now we have a bigger situation to deal with. So being complete with work saves everyone time. It minimizes the stress among coworkers, and it just makes everyone's job a lot easier. And all it takes is an extra 15, 20 seconds to get the information in. Yeah, it doesn't take very long. I've been in the service van. I remember whenever I was first in the industry, we hand-wrote everything. It hasn't been that long ago since you had handwritten tickets, but you hand-write everything and you feel like you're getting in carpal tunnel writing out everything that you did on the whole job, not to mention that the paper sticking to your fingers or to your hands and everything. Now with the tablets, it seems so much more streamlined. So it's you have, really have less of an excuse not to put more detail into the program itself. The key thing among all of this, Tersh, is to remember that honesty and integrity are going to reign supreme beyond any of your technical ability. It's always better to disappoint a customer with the truth than to satisfy a customer with a lie. What that means is if you're not sure if we have the part, if you're not sure if we have the availability in the schedule, don't make believe you do and don't hope for the best. Say you're going to check on it. Say, you know what? Let me go check on that and I'll get back to you. It's better to get back to them in five minutes with the truth than try to fudge it and then find out later that you can't get the part or something else. That Honesty and integrity is the hallmark of the industry that we serve. Okay, that's about all with the book. So before you and I spoke, I looked at a few of your YouTube videos and off your LinkedIn page and everything. There was one thing that really caught my eye. Every time I heard it, I kind of chuckled. Can you dive in a little bit, give us some details pertaining to consonants and vowels and the four-letter word? I just get a chuckle every time I hear you mention this because you say it's really prevalent in New Jersey and where you were in that video, but here it's the exact same thing. So can you go into a little bit of detail with that? One of the benefits I have in the work I do is I get to meet other experts. And some of the other experts I meet are speech therapists and speech pathologists. 
So they are fascinating people. And what I learned from a speech pathologist was that the purpose of a consonant is to separate the vowels. And when you keep that in mind and you speak that way, your voice gains clarity. You articulate with more precision. And when customers hear that, they start to assume that you're smart. So we want to convey that real smart level of speech. So if we were to slur our speech, and if I were going to ask someone a question such as, did you eat? Those are three words. Did you eat? Often, did you eat sounds like jeet, J-E-E-T, with a question mark at the end. That jeet is a manifestation of what happens when the consonants don't separate the vowels. That's the whole point. We just did another video on articulation. It's up on my YouTube channel, and it's in my blog. And it's about uh, pace of speech, speech, pace, and synergy. And I play piano in that one also. So that's a really fun one. Awesome. We'll link your blog and the video, your YouTube video, too, in the show notes. As we start to wrap this up, if somebody's trying to get in touch with you, if they want to reach out to you and get more information about you and your company, where can they find you? Where's the best place to reach out and to learn more about you? Well, my website is my last name. That's coscia.com. My phone number is 610-853-9836. And my email is just my name, steve at kasha.com. And I assume if anyone's listening to this, they can probably see my name, right, on the page. We have a plethora of resources for the mechanical trades. And you can hear the energy and enthusiasm when I speak about this. I really enjoy doing it. Any young people that want to get into the mechanical trades, this is a great time because there's lots of upward opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, Steve goes all over the country. All you have to do is see one of his email, the uh, signature in his email, and it shows the dates and the locations he'll be. You're all the way out to 2018. You're going to be talking at events and traveling around the country. In my pickup, I drive across the country. I'm proud to say I haven't stepped on an airplane in more than a year. Oh, wow. I've been driving in my pickup and seeing our great country up close and personal. Are you taking uh, Route 66? I haven't done Route 66. <laughs> I've done I-40. But one of these days when I'm not on so much of a deadline, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Very cool. But I'm the king of I-40, man. I've done I-40 from Albuquerque to, to Knoxville. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and... I know our audience really appreciates it too. If anybody out there has technicians, you want to do a ride along. I know Steve does that. He has all kinds of services. Look it up. I'll tag a link in the show notes. The packages that are available through Steve's company, there's no reason for you not to do it. It's really, really a great program. Like I said, Steve, I appreciate you coming on. Our audience appreciates you coming on. My pleasure. Good spending time with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. The best way to listen to this podcast is by using your smartphone or other web-connected device and subscribing using the podcast app on Apple devices or the Stitcher app or Google Play Store for Android devices. You can find all our shows on the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to bluecollarroots.com. From all of us at Blue Collar Roots, thank you for listening.